you, Neil. Good morning. I, I can say this without needing to think about Pathfinders. Good morning. How are you all? It's wonderful. It's, uh, I looked down, didn't realise Belle was here. Good to have you this morning. And Dylan, you got out of bed. Awesome. Um, but I'm not going to pick on you guys today. It's wonderful having you guys come here. But uh, I wanted to actually pick on my son who's not here this morning. I'm not sure. I think he'll be in a state of coma this week. Finished school last year. Um, and and uh, he was, he's been applying for lots and lots of jobs and, and doing the whole thing. But, you know, he has no experience. So a lot of jobs look at him and go, this is your first job. I think next applicant. Uh, so they were, or it was either that or they looked at his haircut, I'm not sure, but, uh, but they went through it all and I said to him, Jai, why don't you work at Sanitarium? And he said, Dad, you work there. Um, like, no. And his mum lives over that side of town and I said, come on, mate, it's a great company. They make wheat bigs. Like, how can it go wrong? And uh, he's like, hmm. but... Uh, he got an interview and then he did a medical and this week he, he got put on the best shift, 10.30 till 6.30. That finishes at a.m. 6.30. And I said to him, this is going to be good for you. And he's like, why? And I said, well, you already sleep half the day, so this way you can sleep the whole day. And uh, anyway, he, he started his first job this week and uh, every day I'd ring him. And so he had a go, mate, and he's like, Dad, it's only 5.30 in the afternoon, you woke me up. <laughs> so you can't win. But uh, he, uh, he was just so excited to begin his first job. And uh, Angelina asked me last night as she was driving home from work a very similar question. She said, are you excited about tomorrow? And uh, for me, I was super excited because I love community. And uh, we've really missed it. And uh, I want to thank our leaders uh, over the last week, since we only found out on Monday that we were actually able to meet here. Because uh, because of the whole, I'm sure all you guys are up to it, because of the whole government regulations with schools, we fall into a very, very grey area. And that maybe is a good thing for us. We're in the grey. Uh, but it, it, was, it was an interesting, um, I'm hoping at some point in the future some of the education gurus in the Adventist church talk to me again. But anyway, we were able to make it humming. Um, and I'm not going to get a chance, I'll, I'll, I'll rip into the sermon very shortly. But I want to thank a lot of our volunteers um, who've been absolutely trudging it out this week, getting ready uh, for church. And uh, Ange and Dale have uh, been extraordinary. Um, the Redmond family, incredibly extraordinary as well. And there are so many others who've just like stepped it up and just want to say thank you. Uh, big time. Thank you so much. Well, school's kicked off this week and uh, we may have um, some of our teachers and staff and special welcome to you as well uh, because you guys have had to do it tough for the last two years and and all the kids have finally come back, and uh, it's wonderful to have you here with us as well. Let me have a prayer with you. I know that, I don't know about you, but I had a bit of a tear in my eyes while praying for Kath. Um, and it was just, she's such a beautiful person. Uh, she describes to me what Christianity is about. Even when she's feeling like, I've just had this crazy news, Kathy's looking for the positive in it. I'm like, 
Not sure how we do that, but she just zips straight into it. She's incredible. Lock our minds into, not pro presenter. <laughs> uh, we're not going to put the screen up. But grab your Bibles and your phones and we'll spend some time in the Scriptures. Let's pray. Lord, uh, I've wobbled on enough, uh, but it's now time for your word to be spoken. I just pray that, um, uh, that right here and right now, uh, this is a beginning almost, a refresh. Um, we've had such a ridiculous long break. And I uh, just pray that today's words are yours. Amen. Today, I want, to, I want to actually share hope into your life. I actually want to focus on the positives of what Jesus can offer us even when things appear completely dark and, and tough. I, too, have been one of those people who received a care package. Half of our family got COVID and the other half miraculously uh, didn't. Um, but I just want to say that during the week, and I've, I have a one-on-one -on -one relationship with the local lady at the Woolworth supermarket now. She knows why I'm coming. And she goes, you're getting more of the same stuff. <laughs> oh, I know. Um, boring. But when we experienced COVID in our family, it was post-summer camp, but can't blame Christos for that. The reality was Omricon was out there and it was going to nail us no matter what. Um, but I want to tell you, we had some angels drop food into us. Brucey, he's, I don't know where he is, he's probably washing up, and Lynn and uh, Ruth Steele and, and we had Sharon drop off a church care package and we were also lucky that um, Sarah was chatting to Cara and she went and got us some beautiful things like washing detergent to wash our clothes and and I think Cara, yeah, just ridiculous things Cara asked for. Um, but we felt so blessed. And I want to tell you that in the dark times of what we're experiencing, we can show light and hope to the people around us. It's not about what you say, it's about what you do. If I went through the text messages when I've dropped off, and I've just been the one that had the church credit card, I think, um, but as I've dropped in some care packages to people, these are people, when I ring them and say, hey, what is Dad like? And it's so random. You know, I've had to go to Red Rooster for chalks. Um, it's <laughs> what they eat. Off I go. Um, I've had to pick up ground-up coffee. I don't drink coffee, so I don't know what that means. But it's in a block. I've learnt that. But then when I got there, there were six different types. I'm thinking... I don't know. I got two. I didn't know, so, and I didn't know who to ask, so everyone was at work. So I was like, oh, well, good luck. But the reality is, that's bringing hope into someone's life. And in our Christian walk right now, that's what God asks us to do. So what I, what I want to share is a passage that's found in Jeremiah 29.11. Share some context around it, but Jeremiah 29.11 is a powerful passage because it speaks hope into the lives of Christians way, way, way back in the times of the captivity in Babylon and then into Persia. But, but it also speaks hope into our lives today. I want to tell you, friends, God has a plan for each one of us. When things good or bad, God still has the same plan for each one of us. Jeremiah 29, 11 
not a hard one to remember. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Now, when I read this passage, it would be so easy to share direction here and there. We could go on a whole heap of different train lines and and, and roadways and go, this is what it's saying. But I want to tell you the context of this passage. Because the Israelites had become evil even in the sight of God. And Nebuchadnezzar had come to Jerusalem not once but a couple of times. And other raiding armies had come and gradually the mighty nation of Israel under its beautiful banner city, Jerusalem, was becoming more and more knocked apart, knocked down. When Nebuchadnezzar came the first time, when Jehoiachin was the, was the king of Israel, he turns up and it didn't take long and they were in the city and he looked around and he took the best. He took the best of the young people and he took the best of the mature adults and he took them to Babylon. He re-schooled them, he retrained them and he was a pretty smart king, would do nothing for him and his empire if he just suppressed them. So he actually empowered them to become the leaders of his kingdom. We come across Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, what's that other guy? Oh, Daniel. And we discover these four young Jewish boys who've taken out of captivity into Jerusalem. We know the whole, well, you might know, but it's an excellent story to read in Daniel. It's only about 10 or 11 chapters. It won't take you long to read it. But as you go through it, you realise that they look at the food they're being served and they go, it's not what we do. We don't eat unclean food. And B, we don't eat food that has been sacrificed and dedicated to idols. For them, it was sacrilege to even touch it. And they had the courage to actually stand up and say, uh, this is the wrong stuff for us. And somehow they negotiated. After their period of time, even their teacher said, these guys are seven times healthier and seven times more knowledgeable, wiser than all of the rest of the people we are looking after. Were things easy during that period of time for Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego? No. Daniel gets thrown into a lion's den because he simply was praying to his God. No other reason. That was it. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, because they wouldn't bow down to the 30-metre golden statue that was dedicated to Nebuchadnezzar and his kingdom of Babylon, they are thrown into a fiery furnace and the Bible tells us that it was seven times hotter. I don't know how much oil they were throwing into that thing, but seven times hotter. The Bible tells us it was so hot that as the soldiers who threw the men into the fiery furnace, they too were consumed by the heat and they too died. On both of those instances, God demonstrates that he had a plan. Than just the plan of one man. His plan was so much bigger than even the plan for Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego 
Because when we read Jeremiah 29 verse 11, which we'll reread in a moment, just so we cement it in, we will start to see the picture unfold of a group of Israelites. Remember, it was the best of their young people. It was the most educated of their adults who were thrown into captivity in Babylon. What would God do next? What would God do next? I think you've still got that scripture open. Let me read it. For I know, says Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Jeremiah is often referred to as the crying or weeping prophet. Jeremiah is back in Jerusalem and he is seeing the neglect, spiritually, of the people in his town, in his city, in his nation. Jeremiah did some pretty, um, how would you, gross illustrations. You know, when we did our activity here this morning, that was pretty kosher, that was pretty good. Jeremiah did some stuff that was gross. God actually described the character of the people of Israel like feces. And Jeremiah had to actually sit outside the gate and defecate on himself where the people went. Now, for a Jew, that was completely wrong because unclean and clean was incredibly, um, incredibly, well, powerful within the culture of the Israelites. thinks like, what is wrong with Jeremiah? And Jeremiah was saying to them, you are like me at the moment. That's what you're like. That's how sinful you were. So, so Jeremiah is in there and there are other prophets in Israel who are counteracting what Jeremiah is saying. Jeremiah is saying, you need to clean yourselves up. Spiritually, you're immoral. You've, you have let yourself go in the most extreme, horrible way. And there are other prophets saying, hey, look, God in the past said that he would come and bless our people. And Jeremiah is going, I'm really sorry. The type of people that you are now, God cannot bless. So let's, let's jump into the context. Have a look in verse 1, 2, and 3. So this is Jeremiah 29. If you haven't opened your Bibles yet, grab your phone or your Bible, because it's important. We can't show it on the screen. Um, I want you to look at it and just see it. ...of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. We are talking about Daniel. We are talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and all of the other exiles. That's who Jeremiah is writing to. Verse 2. This is after King Jehoiachin and the Queen Mother, the court officials, the leader of Judah, Jerusalem, the skilled workers, the artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to a whole heap of names, to Elsahar, son of Shaphan, to Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. Sometimes... Things are not as we want them to be. If there's anything that a pandemic has taught times, things aren't 
how we want them to be. Is that true? I'm going to nod big time. I hate listening to these incredible young people lead us in worship. I can't stand and sing. I hate that. I hate how those masks um, always seem to itch the right-hand side of my nose. I don't even know why. And then I'm scratching it gets worse. But I hate the fact that during the pandemic, in our own country, we've actually divided ourselves into two types of people. I hate that. Because I want to tell you, that's not how God operates. Whether you're vaccinated, unvaccinated, Jew, Gentile, it doesn't really matter. God loves all. And that's something we as Christians need to constantly reflect back on and go, we are one people. We are one Australia. We're not two. Sometimes things are not as we want them to be. You'll know what that thing is for you, and I certainly know that is for me. Despite our best efforts, our circumstances aren't as friendly in this passage. Jeremiah was trapped in the city of Jerusalem, which was dissembled by the Babylonians. As I said before, false prophets were actually saying words that you and I could be easily deceived by if we were people who were still left in that crumbling city of Jerusalem. They would use things like, don't give up, there's still hope. God will surely send a miracle miracle of deliverance as he has in the past. And it would be so easy to reflect back on the past, if you're an Israelite, in Jerusalem, in a city that had been beaten once, twice, and many more times, to actually go, God, you have promised us, the people of Israel, to be blessed, to be set apart, to be special. You've taken our children into exile. What is your plan? And they actually share some pretty words that would be easy to go, oh, thank God. Yeah, God will, God will deliver us. But Jeremiah's message was, and we'll look at that in a moment, there's no last-minute miracle on the way. The judgment of God is falling. And in chapter 29 of Jeremiah, that sets the scene, the context for the passage we're looking at. Because it would be so easy to use that passage just... I I could preach a sermon and, and have a look at, you know, maybe just COVID and just use Jeremiah 29, 11. And try and encourage each one of us here. That, um, but what I want to do is I want to look just for a moment at the context, a little bit deeper into those passages. Then I want to jump over and look at Nehemiah. He kicks in, in the story at the end of the 70 years. There's another guy called Ezra, who kicks in at the same time. Two prophets. But I just want to let you know, that I don't have time to do Ezra as well, because it'll be at about 12.30. So we'll, we'll, we'll just do Nehemiah and the rest of the context. If you've got your Bibles, continue. We'll look in verses 4 to 6. The Bible tells us, make the best of the circumstances that you're in at the moment. That's a challenge, isn't it? This is what the Lord of the heaven, armies, the God of Israel, says to all captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. So Jeremiah, his message was not to the people in Jerusalem. It wasn't to those who were still scattered in Israel. His message was to the exiles. These people had already been through the trauma of being displaced from their families. They had already been 
through the whole thing of living in a foreign country. Perhaps even having to succumb, not all of them were as strong as Shadrach, Meshach, were repulsed by. And here's Jeremiah. You would think he would want to be over there um, in Babylon, but he's just going, God's people, uh, you people in exile have a really special role for the future. Verse 5, build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply. Do not dwindle away. It almost sounds like Jeremiah is sharing a message that is contrary to what he should be sharing. Because he's actually saying to the people in exile, this is going to take a while. What I want you to do in the meantime, go and have heaps of kids. I don't want you to dwindle away. I want you to have lots of those things. Boys, girls, triplets, doubles, whatever you need. Have heaps. And I want you to build a house and make it your home. I want you to plant vineyards because this is not going to be for a small season. This could be for your entire life. Um, You read that message and you think to yourself, has Jeremiah lost the plot? This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build, marry, grow. Jeremiah's point is this. There isn't going to be a last-minute miracle or some sudden solution to their problem. All they can do for now is make the most of it. Do the best you can, rejoice in the Lord, and keep on going. I read this, and I'm actually encouraged by it, because the world that we live in today, and I don't even mean COVID, I mean the world that we live in now, in the place where we are now, God is encouraging us to live. God is encouraging us to grow. God is encouraging us to plant. There is a time coming where Jesus is coming back. I 100% believe that. But in the meantime, God wants us to live. This world is exile. It is a place of exile. God wants us too to focus on living. Verse 7 of our passage gives us a little hint of what we need to do. If there was one thing that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were good at, verse 7. Let's read it. And work for the, pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Ask God to bless your surroundings. If they prosper, you prosper. I can remember, and I'll go back to Jai for a minute, the poor kid, started his first job. I said, hey, son, what are you doing? I didn't know. Could be a cleaner. That would have been good for him. <laughs> uh, you know, could have been making the wheat bix on the make. Could have been packing them in the little boxes on the biz packs. You have no idea what that is, but it's a thing, machine. Could have even been on the cookers. Never got to do that. He goes, Dad, I'm right at the end. I put the little wheat bix in the cartons. I fold them over and throw them through, and then I put them on boxes. I said, Son, <laughs> welcome to six years of my life. It's exactly what I did. I can't believe it. 
from generation to generation, poor kid. But you know what? Each day when I would go to work at Sanitarium, I would actually pray for the company. People would be like, why don't you do that? I didn't realize I had a job that I'd actually pray for the company. Say, God, thank you that you've given me this job, this work, whatever it is. And sometimes pretty horrible uh, things I had to do, but thank you for the job. Right here, this is what Jeremiah is encouraging the people to do. This is where we make a difference in our community. When we pray for those we work with and we pray for the company we work for, even if they're like nasty, naughty people, are we still... Um, need to pray for them. Verses 8 and 9, beware of the wrong voices. This is what the Lord, the verse tells us, verses 8 and 9, this is what the Lord of the heavens armies, the God of Israel says, do not let your prophets and fortune tellers who are with you in the land of Babylon trick you. Do not listen to their dreams because they are telling you lies in the name I have sent them. Jeremiah was saying to them, you need to test the people who are sharing messages with you while you're in exile. You don't have a king, you don't have a head prophet or a priest that's going to give you guidance in the secular and the spiritual. You better make sure that you are listening to the right voice. I think that's good wisdom for us today as well. And in verse 10, take the long view. For many of us in today's society... If something takes longer than five minutes, it's five minutes wasted. Um, but here, look at the long view. Now, this is verse 10. This will set us for where the context of verse 11 is. It's really important. Verse 10. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for how many years? Help me out. 70 years. That's a long time. Uh, especially during that period of time, people's average age is around 40 to 50. But then, and I will bring you home again. Some of us may be sitting here today and saying, well, look, this is an Old Testament passage which is going to work into Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans for you, plans to prosper you, plans to give you this and that, and all just amazing things. How does this fit into the context of the New Testament? It fits in perfectly. It is the same message. It's not different. Because... I'll read it so it doesn't take too long to find it. But if you are looking for it, 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 to 18, the Bible tells us that is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they can will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. The plan that God has for us is a long-term plan. For the people in exile, it would be a period of 70 years. They were told it clearly by Jeremiah. I'm not sure how many families who were in exile used to sit around and go, we're up to 63 years. We've just clicked over 64 years in exile, six to go. I'm not sure. It'd be interesting. I'm sure there were some families like that um, just ticking off the boxes. But the reality was it was 70 years. We don't know 
when our Jesus is going to return. But as Paul shared to the church in Corinth, God wants us to play the long-term game. We have something to look forward to, something in the future that is going to change the way we live. We're going to be brought us to be. Not different, back to how we were created to be. That sets the context for Jeremiah 29 and verse 11. You're like, Sean, you take a long time to get there. That's true. Get hopeful about God's plan. The Bible says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and not... And sorry, give you a future and hope. Nehemiah, please turn with me. It's one of my favourite stories in the Old Testament. Nehemiah chapter 1. Jump in there quickly. We'll read a few verses and I'll tell the story super uber quick because I've gone too long. Nehemiah chapter 1. And I'm reading from the NIV. The words of Nehemiah, son of Halkaliah. In the month of Kislev, in the twelfth year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah, and some other men I questioned about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province, are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, its gates have been burned with fire. Then I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. Nehemiah and Ezra would play two incredible roles in re-establishing the Jewish people in Jerusalem. Because everything now lies desolate in Jerusalem. That's what we just read. The walls are knocked down. The gates completely burned up. And the temple, it doesn't talk about the temples there no more either. What's next? So Nehemiah had an incredible job. Nehemiah's role was to, <laughs> and that'd be a good job, but his role was to be the wine taster for the king. Uh, it was pretty important. You trusted him. Not because they got the right, I don't drink wine, but not because they got the right palate thing, but because people would try and assassinate the king and poison the drink. <laughs> How'd you like that for a job? <laughs> Is today my day? Uh, and, and it was a job that he took seriously, and it was also a job that he came with a positive attitude every day. You didn't want to be in front of the king of the most powerful nation on earth and come to work having a grumbly day or a little bit of a crack. In chapter 1 with Nehemiah, he said, what is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? His brother and some of his friends, that's what we read, gone back to Jerusalem and the city was just a crumbling pile of rock. What was once the most beautiful city with the most beautiful temple had now turned into rubble which actually describes spiritually where the people of Israel were at. They were a disgrace. And raiding parties would come in and just take at will what they wanted. So Nehemiah is deeply, to his heart, to his core, upset. 
And the king could see it. And the king said to him, what's wrong? And he tells him about his city. In that conversation, God used Nehemiah. Now let me tell you just a quick difference between Ezra and Nehemiah. I'd love you to go and have a look at it yourselves, but because of time, I'll just be quick. Ezra was was a religious prophet, and his role was to go back at almost... Did he go to the king and ask the king for soldiers to protect him and to go and get money to rebuild it? No. He believed that as a spiritual man, God would protect all of his needs and that when he went back to rebuild the city, this would be God's temple that would be rebuilt by God. And that all the blessings when people looked at the rebuilt temple would never fall back to a king or, or a nationality that, that had felt, uh, you, you know, look, let me help you out. That's what Ezra did. So when you read the book of Ezra, you find this incredible story of Ezra, his reliance on only God and no one else. There are times in our lives, and probably more so in the spiritual part of our lives, that a school won't save you. Your pastor won't save you. Your the leaders at your church won't save you. A good song service won't save you. That's a sacred thing between you and God. That was the message of Ezra. Wow, that was quick. Let's say like Nehemiah is quick. I don't think so. Nehemiah, on the other hand, actually was able to use his society in which he was an employee to assist him in God being able to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. Nehemiah had a connection with the king. God had put him into that job, and within that job, even a secular organisation could be used to bless God. And this is a bit we need to take into account, that a lot of you don't work for a church organisation, and God can use that organisation to bless his people as well. Nehemiah goes to the king and the king says to him, what do you need? And he said, well, I need a bit of security. Could you and just protect us? Yes. What else do you need? I'll give you an open checkbook. If you need the best timber from the king's forest, it's yours. Whatever you need is yours. God's teaching us some cool things. Nehemiah goes to rebuild the city. When he arrives, this is something about Nehemiah. There's some of us that just like jump. There's others who sort of sneak their way around it and try and work out if this is a good plan. If this is safe. <laughs> Nehemiah was like that. He gets there and at night, he goes in under the cover of darkness just to check out what he needs to do. God actually doesn't criticise him for it. He uses us according to the type of people we are. Nehemiah goes in and he checks it out. He goes, "Mm, she's a mess. And uh, he comes in. And the people that are left in Jerusalem, there's some of the Jewish people who are just nasty. They've been been, um, handing out loans to their fellow people in Jerusalem. And then if they couldn't pay it off, taking all their property and land, 
and even grabbing their children and selling them into slavery. And Nehemiah's like, eh, eh, that's not how God operates. Because under Jewish law, you can't charge interest. It's something you don't do. And he had to deal with that inner conflict. And then on the outside of, it wasn't a wall, but on the outside of where the proposed wall was going to go, you had raiding parties coming in, and Nehemiah knew that to rebuild the city, they would need to protect themselves. But that would slow down how they worked. And you had Nehemiah instructing, he would stand up there near the guy on the bugle, and to that area to, to actually protect their city as they were building it. Nehemiah was a smart operator. I'm not sure what leadership school he went to, but I tell you what, if you were to learn about a good leader, Nehemiah is one of them. At the end of that time, the city wall is rebuilt. Now, I don't know a lot about building at all, but to build a brick wall and to build it strong would take a long time, I, I would reckon. Because you don't want other people to come along and knock the thing over. And yet, after 52 days, the wall of the city of Jerusalem was rebuilt. The people who wanted to come in and attack, the Bible tells us in Nehemiah, they actually looked and they actually acknowledged that there was a God that had helped the Israelite people rebuild the city wall. Nehemiah may not have known the exact plan that God had for his life while he was serving and helping the king with his drinks. But God knew the plan that he had for Nehemiah. God knew the plan that he had for Ezra to fulfill the prophecy that after 70 days, the exiles would return and they would reclaim the city of Jerusalem and rebuild the temple and the walls. Jeremiah 29 and verse 11, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. The challenge that I want to give each one of us, and it's definitely not just for you, it's for me too, for each of our lives, whether we work in the secular or whether we work within the church, God has a plan for our lives. I believe that God's plans have two pathways, and this is what I want to finish with. The first pathway is to help us navigate life in the secular world. Just like Nehemiah. And the second pathway is life in the spiritual world. Our God knows a lot about us. Our God knows a lot about our society we live in our communities we live in, the street that we live in. God has a plan for each one of us. Let me pray with you this morning. Lord God in heaven, I thank you uh, for being with us. I wish we could have spent more time just uh, going through the different scriptures, but Lord, uh, I want to thank you for giving us such incredible testimonies in the Bible. Uh, Jeremiah 29, 11 is a passage I know that 
I'll probably preachers preach heaps on. Uh, but Lord, today I just pray that um, what we have learnt from it, we can apply. And um, we know that you want us to have a positive future. There's, there's something that you've got planned for our lives. And I pray uh, for each of us sitting here that we can apply that to our lives and go, God, where do you want me to be? What's, what's that plan? I want to be part of it. And uh, Lord, that's a big challenge for each one of us. Give us a good day and, and thank you for being with us. Amen.